Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Episode 310 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. The Atlanta Braves have fallen into a 1-0 deficit in the NLDS, falling by a final score to the Brewers today of 2-1. And I am joined to discuss everything from Game 1 by Talking Chop's own Stephen Tolbert. Hello, sir. How are you? How are we doing tonight, Brad? Yeah, that was a uh, that was a game. I don't know. That was a game. I don't know how else to really describe it, but we'll get into it. Yeah, it was certainly a baseball game, uh, to be sure. Uh, obviously, you joined uh, the site not long ago. People probably have uh, known your work at this point in time, but you are at B underscore outliers on Twitter. Uh, a great follow, and we'll plug you throughout the podcast. But thanks for joining me, uh, Scott and Eric. Too lazy. I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, Eric is uh, Eric is on um, vacation, and Scott is somewhere, I think, working or something. And Scott will be back tomorrow, I think. But anyway, lots to get to. Uh, we're obviously going to get into the game. And the Braves, by the way, uh, just for some history's sake, Atlanta is 3-17 and uh, in the divisional era when they lose the opening game of a playoff series. So Yeesh. not great numbers there. Uh, and obviously the Braves become the underdogs in the series. They, they already kind of were for most people. I know I picked them, and some people around the Braves obviously picked them. But now I think pretty clearly they have to be the underdog in the series down one nothing. But before we dive into everything that happened in this game, uh, we've not had a podcast on this feed since the roster was released on Friday morning. A um, couple of surprises, so I want to start there quickly. Obviously, this is a little bit revisionist now that we've seen a game, but I have my notes done before the game starts, so I won't, I won't, I won't change anything that I wrote, anything that I wrote down. Uh, the Braves are carrying 14 position players in the series. Uh, there was even a thought at one point they might carry 14 pitchers, so they went the other way on that, which I kind of like. Uh, I think the biggest surprise, maybe, was that Terrence Gore is on the roster. Uh, I will be honest with you, Stephen. I didn't even can really consider Terrence Gore on my uh, on my spreadsheet before the series, and we talked about it on the podcast. Not that it's crazy or anything. I just was that was not on my radar for whatever reason. Uh, what did you make of that? And then we'll talk about the pitching stuff too. Yeah, um, I saw, or I think about thirty minutes before the rosters came out, uh, Bowman had a tweet that said Terrence Gore was a possibility, and. When you start to think about it, it does make sense. Um, you know, pinch running in the postseason is such a big deal. You're often playing for one run. Most postseason games, honestly, go like tonight's go uh, or tonight's went. One run being the difference in the game. And with the starting pitching that both sides have, it didn't surprise me. I actually tweeted it out before the rosters came out that I thought Gore was a, a real possibility. So that part didn't surprise me as much. You know, there's also not a tremendous amount of options when you get to the back half of the bench. Uh, 
you know, Christian Pache, I guess, was an option, but he hadn't played in the majors all year or since, you know, he went down early in the season. He hasn't been back. So um, I wasn't that surprised. The, the, the relievers definitely surprised me. I was surprised by that. Yeah, so you're referring to the fact that essentially there were some decisions to be made here. Uh, they did not carry Chris Martin, which was my biggest surprise just because of the pedigree he has. Not that he's been great lately because he hasn't been, but um, usually uh, at least Brian Sicker likes to defer to veterans who's been, who've been around and he's been around and he's not. Yeah, that, that's done. That's done me that Chris Martin wasn't, yeah. wasn't on the roster. That was my biggest surprise too. Um, I mean, obviously the Gore thing just kind of being off my radar, but what do you think about it? It makes sense. Martin is the one that uh, it just feels like maybe they just kind of lost confidence in him. I mean, uh, Sicker did say when he talked to the media before the game that they will consider carrying Martin and or Richard Rodriguez, who they traded for midseason, is also not on the roster. They might yeah. consider carrying those guys in the next round if they were to advance, but neither one of them made it. And also uh, Spencer Strider was not on the list and they went with Dylan Lee. Um, which was kind of a surprise also. So that combination of no Martin, no Rodriguez, no Strider, plus Lee, and they're also carrying Drew Smiley, uh, that combination was not one that I, project, that I projected for sure. No, and, you know, there's – you try to balance out your bullpen as best you can, you know, having the same number of right-handers and left-handers. The Brewers as a team don't really have any large split one way or the other. I think they as a team had a 92 WRC plus against right-handers and a 90 – WRC plus against left-handers. So it's not a team that you, you're typically going to load up one side or the other. And so when I saw the roster and there was only three right-handed relievers, um, it definitely, I, I raised an eyebrow at that. Um, and I'm assuming they're going to put uh, Inoa in the bullpen. Um, we haven't seen that yet. Obviously he didn't pitch tonight, but he could still start game four, I guess. But I, when I saw that there was only three relievers, three right-handed relievers, that told me that that uh, Inoa was probably headed to the pen for this series. Yeah, you know, I don't know if he's talked about it in the last couple of days, but I know Snicker did say a few days ago, maybe even like Sunday, that Inoa was going to be at the very least available out of the bullpen in game one and game two. Even if they were to pitch him in game four, he could have pitched. You know, we saw today Milwaukee used their game four starter uh, today. Um, and that's something you can do in the playoffs, and Inoa can be using that role and also – they might just use bullpen game on in game four. Um, yeah. that, it, it depends on the situation. And you, you do have Enoa, you have Smiley, you have some depth to get through a bullpen game if you want to. But yeah, I was, I was uh, not necessarily like outraged by it. I mean, the Martin thing is curious to me. I, I would probably would have just kept him, even though he's not pitched incredibly well. Uh, Rodriguez, I was actually happy they left off. I thought they might just keep him, but I think he's been pretty bad um, since joining the Braves. His peripherals have been pretty hideous. Um, yeah. Yeah, I thought they I might just defer to him, but I'm glad they didn't do that. But regardless, I mean, 12 pitchers also was kind of a, at least a surprise to some. Uh, I think that basically just means, at least in my mind, it's because they have the two off days. So they, I, I kind of like this because they, they don't really need to carry all these extra arms, especially if you're going to carry Smiley, and they did that. So if you get a situation where you got where you got to go deep, deep, deep into the night, you can throw Drew Smiley five innings if you have to. Um, yeah. And that's no, how kind of to bridge that gap. I agree. I, I agree. And the Brewers, if you if you notice, the Brewers did something similar. They only have eleven pitchers, and fourteen uh, or fifteen position players. So they they went with the same kind of general theory. And when you have off days in your playoff series, you're going to pitch the same four or five relievers every game. I mean, there's not really a situation where Jackson or Matzik or Smith aren't going to pitch the last three innings for you. So, you know, you don't really need. 10 relievers when you're going to use the same five every night. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like that theory. I, I like that in, uh, that sort of concept. And uh, whether it's used correctly is always up for debate. And we'll get into some of that later right. on. Yeah. But, now, uh, how they're used is a different story. But. Yeah. And, but, you know, I think that is uh, it kind of covers it. And, you know, it's kind of funny. They, they carried Terrence Gore, um, obviously, expressly to run. He's not – he's one of the worst hitters in baseball probably for a position player. And I'm not saying that they needed to do this, but the one time that you could have used a pinch hitter, a pinch runner tonight was when Freddie let off, Freddie let off the ninth with a walk. But they're never going to pull Freddie in that spot. It's just never going to happen. He's never no. taking Freddie out of the game. Uh, but it was just kind of funny. Like that's the time run to stay alive in a game in a postseason game. And if there's ever a time to use Terrence Gore, that's it. But the one guy probably that he's just never taking out is on first base. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and then Riley ended up falling with a single anyways. And so you know, if yep. Gore had been on second. It might have been a tie game, but I will say there are numbers that back up when to do that and when not to do that. And obviously, oh, yeah. with Freddie, if Freddie, it changes the equation a lot. It does. Um, yes. If it's the winning run, I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, when it's the tying run and you're on the road, you know the the math changes a little bit. But yeah, I agree that there was only really one. Now, I guess you could have put Gore in for Riley after he got after he got a hit. Um, I but, guess that would have made. But he's the MVP of the league. Steven, yeah, he can't take him out of the game. He's the uh, MVP. So. No, I'm, I mean, it is funny though. Like those are the two guys who have been, you know, the two guys that he wouldn't take. Plus, Ozzy's, Ozzy's the third guy. He's of course really fast. You wouldn't pull him out anyway. So yeah, you wouldn't. It's pull just, him. Uh, yeah, I wasn't even saying that he should have done it. It's just kind of funny the way that broke down because of uh, the logistics and how that stuff works in the playoffs. Um, any any final thoughts on the roster before we go to this game? Because this game uh, has lots of stuff to talk about for sure. Uh, yeah, I think we should just jump right in. Okay, so uh, as I said at the top, everybody knows this that listening to this podcast probably, but a 2-1 loss. And uh, as you and I were talking about before we started recording, uh, the Braves basically had like three huge moments in this game offensively and pretty much one uh, run prevention-wise. Um, but the, the first one happened in the first inning, and honestly, for the first five minutes of this game, it was going extremely well for Atlanta. Uh, Soler draws a seven-pitch walk. Freddie draws a nine-pitch walk and a wild pitch. So within 16 pitches, Corbin Burns, a Cy Young candidate, has two walks uh, and a lot of pitches on his on his arm, and it's first and third, no outs. Uh, Burns had 34 walks all season, and he walked the first two guys in this game. But then came the biggest moment of the game offensively, at least for, for the Braves for the first seven innings at least, uh, where Ozzy Albies hits a grounder right at the first base bag. Uh, perfect spot for Rowdy Telez to step on first and throw out Jorge Soler at home. So a lot to get into on this play, but obviously it's a huge swing, um, momentum killer, however you, however you want to say that, you know, win probability swings. Um, lots of things to get into, but Ozzy swinging at a ball, um, especially after first, you know, it was the, the first two walks, he's ahead 1-0 one, one on the count and then swings at a pitch that's not in the strike zone, which is very on brand for Ozzy, but also uh, frustrating. Uh, hits it in the worst possible spot. Uh, Jorge runs. So all that said, like, what did you make of that whole sequence? Obviously, it was not good for the Braves, but uh, what did you make of Soler, uh, Soler running and that and kind of all that transpired there? That was that was a quintessential Braves postseason moment right there because every everything had to go one way. Um, you had to have. Albies, who is known for expanding his zone, for better or for worse. Um, you had a ball hit to probably the only spot on the field 
where you don't get a run. If that's hit up the middle, they, they, they try for two and they, you know, they probably give up the run. If, even if it's hit to the pitcher, he might turn and, and go for two um, to try to get a double play and, and sacrifice the run. I don't know, maybe the third, they go home, but yeah, it was just terrible luck. Uh, it was bad by Ozzy. You can't swing at that pitch. You know, you've got, he's, he's clearly not comfortable. You got to make him throw a strike. Um, but you know, it's a tough game. It's tough to, to armchair judge these guys, but, uh, you know, uh, it was, it reminded me a lot of last year. Honestly, I think I tweeted this out. It reminded me of the 2020 NLCS where the Braves somehow, you know, you remember Nick Markakis hit that double play to third base and the Braves, I mean, it was just a, it was a quintessential postseason moment, unfortunately at the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording, but I was looking at the baseball savant data. This is just one calculation, but the win probability uh, changed on their site from StatCast. Um, before Ozzy swung at that pitch, the Braves were favored to win 62% of the time. Um, after coming into the game, 50-50 or however you want to say that, um, and with one swing, they went from 62% to 48%. And this is in the first inning. You know what's yeah, you don't often see that in the first inning. Like that's a huge swing in the game to a you know double play. You don't score, and suddenly you're in some uh, in some peril. Obviously, the game isn't over at that point in time, but it just feels worse later on too. Because in the moment, I made the joke on Twitter, like I was highlighting this on my notes because it just felt like a huge moment, and it was. I mean, we didn't know at the time it was gonna be a two-one game, but in a two-one game, that play is even bigger almost than it was at at the time. And you know, from there, Riley strikes out. Burns throws only six more pitches in the rest of the inning after the two walks to the top. And, yeah, it just kind of stings a little bit. And, you know, the Braves don't score until the eighth inning. So just a huge just a huge spot. I and mean, we'll kind of fly through pretty much innings two through five, two through six, because not much happened other than, you know, we should talk about Charlie Morton, who was awesome. Um, Morton, especially through the first five innings, was kind of lights-out dominant. He had nine strikeouts in five innings and uh, I think allowed maybe two hits in the first five innings, something like that. He was uh, absolutely dominant at keeping them in place. And, you know, this is why you had Charlie Morton. This is why you lock him up for next year, all that stuff. But uh, we'll, we'll get into the, to the should they or shouldn't they have later on. But in terms of the outing Charlie had individually, you know, you can't really ask much more than that. Yeah. He looked, you know, Charlie Morton's known for what he does in October, essentially, that's where he gained his reputation with Houston. That's why he gets the money that he gets in the offseason, because, you know, he just shows up for these games and he sh- and he showed up again tonight. I mean, I I hate that it ended the way it ended, because the conversation is going to be a lot different than if he'd, you know, gone one, two, three in the seventh and, and been pulled. But I mean, he was throwing he I, th- I tweeted it out at some point in the game. He threw like the fourth or fifth hardest pitch he threw all year tonight. I mean, he was jacked up. Um, they were swinging and missing. Uh, I think he had nine strikeouts or 10 strikeouts um, and six and, and six plus innings. So that's, I mean, that's big time. The Brewers aren't a great offense. Obviously, that's part of the equation here, but you still got to show up. It's a hitter friendly park. Um, it's the first game of a huge series. You got Corbin Burns on the other side. So, you know, you got to put up zeros um, and he shoved. I mean, I was I, I'm with you. I don't I mean, he hate that he gave up a two run homer right at the very end, but I I don't know you can really ask much more from Charlie Morton. Yeah, you really can. I mean, six innings, three hits, one walk, obviously the two runs, but nine strikeouts, 85 pitches. He was economical, um, 16 swing and misses. 
for Charlie, which is a lot. That's uh, big. That's a big number. He pitched very well. Uh, full stop. Now, uh, with that out of the way, we get into the sixth slash seventh inning. So before we get into seventh, what did you make of the way that he pitched in the sixth? Because, you know, famously he threw the first six pitches out of the strike zone in the sixth inning, a walk, and then goes up two, and goes down 2-0 to Colton Wong. And then Colton Wong, who had a brutal night, by the way, he uh, – he, he struggled. Second baseman were not having a lot of fun out there today. It was a rough night for the two-baggers tonight. And Ozzie. Uh, but anyway, Colton Wong gives Charlie a gift and swings, pops it up after he kind of lost the strike zone. And, you know, once that happened, he settled in a little bit, didn't get hit hard in the inning, just kind of lost his command for a little bit. Um, but did you think he was wavering a touch in the sixth? Because I kind of pushed back and some of the narrative stuff that was out there, like, you know, Morton was great through six. And, yeah, he was great through five. I mean, he got out of the. On one hand, he got through the sixth inning without getting belted, but it was pretty clear to me he wasn't quite the same. But maybe I'm wrong. What, what did you see in the sixth inning? Well, I think one thing we have to keep in mind in general is that one thing that the kind of the analytical revolution has taught us is that there is no such thing as a pitcher who's dealing, quote end quote dealing. You know, that doesn't that doesn't exist. You know, almost every pitcher in baseball is worse the third time through the order and Charlie's no different. I mean, he's worse the third time through the order. So when you walk the ninth inning or the ninth place guy to get to the top of the order for the third time, I mean, there are teams in baseball, there are teams in the playoffs that would have pulled Charlie right then and there. Like he, yeah. he would not, he would not have faced the top of the order a third time with a man on. Like if he was still, if he was still in the raids, they would have pulled him. That's just what they do. That's what they always do. Yeah, uh, they got they got killed for it. If you remember last year because they did it with Blake, Blake Snell Blake and they Snell. got yeah. they got crucified for it. But that's just what they do. They they, they believe in those numbers to the point where they're always going to act on them. And so I you know I I could have made the argument you should have pulled him in the sixth. Now obviously Snit wasn't ever going to do that. But once you get to the seventh, because I agree, I I don't think he looked great in the sixth. You know he's always had that one inning where he starts to lose it a little bit. And you know when you get he only he'd only thrown I think. By the end, he only threw 85 pitches, but they're 85 postseason pitches. You know, they're they're a lot more high pressure, high stress. So I, I wouldn't use that number too much. Um, so yeah, when you once you got to the seventh, I would have actually, it, I, I I would have definitely pulled him after the hit by pitch when he got to one two and then hit Garcia yeah. uh, with the one two pitch. I would have definitely pulled him there, but I, I would have made the argument that you even pull him before that inning starts. Um, just because, you know, you started to look shaking the six. You're at the third time through the order. Charlie, you know, you, anybody can go look up his numbers. I mean, his third time through the orders are just not good. You know, that's not I, just I have him here, by the way. Uh, just, so, just so you know, it's uh, – I tweeted this too, but uh, third time through the order of the season, he has a 5.57 ERA, and his OPS allowed jumps up by about 100 points from a second time to the order. Like, he's still a – you know, in terms of like OPS allowed, it's still like in the 700 range. It's not like, it's not like absolutely terrible, but ERA wise, that kind of speaks for itself. And he's not a me. I mean, he's really good, but if your ERA is over five, and that's just kind of what it is. Like most, as you said, most pitchers, if not all pitchers, are worse their time through the order. And yeah, Charlie is a guy that you maybe you ride a little bit longer, but I'm kind of exactly where you are on this, to the point where I, I was not arguing that he should come out in the sixth. I understand what you just said, and I think it wouldn't have been crazy. But I, I do think that um, you definitely consider taking him out after the sixth. 
And then at the very least, I, I probably I pull him after the hit by pitch. And I, and I know he was ahead in the count. It was 0-2. But that's not, I'm not sure that's even better. Like, being ahead 0-2 and then, like, losing a pitch, like, kind of maybe shows you that he's not quite himself. I don't know. It's one of those things where I can kind of see both sides of that. But once there's a base runner on, um, I, I will roll with Luke Jackson over Charlie Morton third time through the order in that spot. I just will. I'm sorry. but And I I, I do want to point out that, I, I again, I would have pulled – I would have pulled Morton probably before the seventh start. I definitely would have pulled him after the hit by pitch, but I don't think, I don't think this is one of those like crazy egregious. Yes. Errors. I, I totally agree with you. I think you can argue. Like I, I understand why people think he should have stayed in. Um, I hate when people use the term he was dealing because every pitcher in the <laughs> world is dealing right up until the very moment where they're not. And it's usually, you know, the, the goal is to get him out before he gives up the homer. That's typically the goal. So I hate that argument. But that being said, I understand why people think he should have been in the game. And, you know, the other factor of this is the bullpen. Like, if you take him out, you have to bring somebody in. But you're in the seventh inning. It's going to be Luke Jackson. Everybody who's a Braves fan should be perfectly fine that it's Luke Jackson coming in. You know, if this was the difference between Charlie Morton and, you know, I don't know, Edgar Santana, then yeah, it's, it's a, it's a different equation, but because you know, for a fact, it's Luke Jackson coming in, you know, pulling Morton should have been Brian or Snit should have been more. Okay. In my opinion, pulling him, knowing that he's got his three best relievers essentially lined up to pitch the seventh, the eighth and the ninth. So, yeah, I think we're pretty much aligned on this all, all the way across, you know, I kind of tweeted this too, but I would have pulled him. I also said as much on Twitter before it happens. It's not even like, you know, second guessing. It's kind of first guessing. You know, I said short leash at this point because that's just what it is. And yes, he was pitching well, but, um, you know, it's that is what it is. I, I, what I will say is what drives me crazy uh, is acting like there was no chance that they were going to pull him there or that they should have pulled him there. That's what's really got uh, kind of annoyed me at the time. Like when I tweeted some of that stuff out, there was some criticism. There was a response from certain people that was like kind of like laughing it out of the room that Snicker would have pulled him and it's like well no it's a very logical thing that he would have pulled him like you can certainly argue that you don't prefer that but to act like there was no decision to be made just because there was a zero in the run column is yeah. not it's, that's not that's not the way modern baseball is played and like you're, you're, you're just ignoring math and trust me this is an extremely pro Charlie Morton podcast I've been extremely high on Charlie Morton since before the signing like I love Charlie Morton he's very very good but you're ignoring the math entirely if you're going to act like this is no decision to be made. That's, that's what gets me is like the black and white of it all. And I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think it's crazy the other way either. And we're, we're both on the side of maybe taking him out. But I just could not handle the like laughter almost of certain angles of like, no, you couldn't possibly take him out there. And even even Sticker kind of said like there was no consideration of taking him out. The one, the one thing he, that Snit did say postgame was that he would have hit for him in the sixth if they had gotten to him. That's a small consolation, but at least that, that at least tells you that it, it was like he was married to Morton at that point in time. He did say that he wasn't going to take him out, never really thought about it, but he was going to hit for him if they got to him. So, I don't know. And I always look at what are the most successful teams, what are the smartest, most successful teams doing in these situations, right? And, like, the Rays are always the team I go back to because they keep making the postseason. They keep making it to the World Series. They look like the best team in the American League right now. And if the Rays, if that if the Rays were in that situation, there's not a chance in in you know what that Charlie Morton is still in the game at that point. It's just not going to happen. 
What? Did um, you see the, the, Jason, the Jason Stark stat that he tweeted? Did you see this? Uh, it, this is more of like a trivia thing. I don't like, I'm not saying this is like gospel because it's just kind of a, an ironic, kind of funny thing. But uh, Morton faced, never faced more than 22 batters in a playoff game for the Rays. And Telez was the 23rd batter he faced today, which is fun. It's just, <laughs> it's just more funny than anything else. But it was like a good reminder of like what the, how the Rays do things and how the Rays did. But yeah, and, and it doesn't always work for the Rays. Listen, it didn't work no, last year. Clearly not. Blake Snell and, and they it's got you know, they got cool. They got killed for it. But you know, if you've ever seen Moneyball, I mean, you're you're basically we're counting cards. You're just trying to put your odds in the best possible spot to be successful and. Whatever happens, happens. You know, you live with the results. And, you know, for most teams these days in 2021 in modern baseball, after the analytical revolution, um, they don't allow their pitchers to pitch three times to the order. And they certainly don't allow them to do it in the postseason. And, you know, if you, and it doesn't matter if you love Snit or you hate Snit or you think it was the right call or the wrong call, you know, I, I will always prefer lining yourself up with the math. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. You live with the results. But I, I don't like I don't like the old school idea of, of pitchers dealing or certain guys being given <laughs> more of yeah. a leash. I, I, I just don't I don't like that. I don't like because you know, you're you're you know, you're you're going against the math, knowing you're knowingly going against what the odds tell you. And, you know, I just it's a it's a slippery way to to manage, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we are aligned on this one to be sure, but uh, always a little bit of nuance. I'm not going to come on and yell and scream. There's one decision later on I actually think was uh, a lot less defensible than that one that we'll come back to in a moment. But first, uh, a word from our sponsors, and we'll come right back with myself and Steven talking about the rest of the game and looking ahead to game two. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Stephen. Uh, the eighth inning was favorable for the Braves a little bit more. Jock Pierce hits a two, hits a two out pinch hit home run to slash the margin from two nothing to two one. That was the single best offensive moment of the day for the Braves. And shouts to Jock who uh, didn't start this game, but obviously did the most he could possibly do. Uh, one one plate appearance, one home run. You can't do better than that. Yeah, the stats look good after that. 
Yeah, that'll work. Um, Tyler Matzik kind of struggled a little bit in the eighth, but got out of it, so uh, no harm done there. And that brings up the top, the top of the ninth. So the Braves are on the road. They have to score to stay alive. And uh, high drama because it's Freeman, Albies, and Riley, the meat of the Braves' order against Josh Hader, who is arguably the best reliever in the entire league. So that's an interesting setup, obviously. High drama. Uh, Freddie has a great at bat, works a walk. Um, probably had five balls in that walk, honestly, if, yep. you, watched, if you watched the uh, yep. bat unfold. Um, Ozzy strikes out to continue his his day of nightmares. Uh, he sort of missed a pretty fat fastball, I thought, um, for a second strike. Regardless, um, Riley then ropes a single to left. Uh, Duvall kind of hits like a nubber in front of the plate. Um, they get the force out at second, so it's first yeah. and third with two outs. Um, yeah, so... Here's the decision that's the one that I, I had the hardest time with the entire game. Uh, it's Eddie Rosario, due up, and I will say, um, Hader is a dominant left-hander, and Rosario does have a platoon split. He's not great against lefties, which I'm sure was part of the thinking was to take out him for a platoon split. Um, with that said, they went to Orlando Arcia. Uh, the only person burned off the bench at this point was Jock Peterson. So, essentially what... Brian Sicker told you with this decision, and at least in my interpretation, is that he believes Orlando Garcia is his number one right-handed bench bat, which I am just blown away by. Uh, he was not asked about this after the game, unfortunately, so we can't know exactly what he would have said on the record. But I tweeted the I tweeted the numbers out. Garcia's numbers are pretty pretty much terrible at the plate. He's been terrible all year. He's been a bad hitter in his career. He has a 70 career WRC plus. It's only 77 against lefties. He has a 670 OPS career against left-handed pitching. So it's not like he's like this like big split, uh, this big platoon split guy. Uh, I just don't understand the decision. And I'll throw some more numbers at you in a second. But what was your thought process when they went to Arcia in that spot? Because I was kind of baffled even before I looked at the numbers. And then when I looked at the numbers, I was even more baffled. Yeah. So. There's a there's a couple of layers to this. One is a roster construction layer, right? Where you know that Josh Hader is a left-handed pitcher, obviously going into the series. You know that in the ninth inning, these are probably going to be close games, and there's probably going to be a situation where you have to pinch hit one of your guys against Hader. So having a right-handed hitter on your bench for that situation makes sense. Now, who that exactly would be on the Braves' current roster is up for debate, but it can't be Orlando Garcia. Whoever it is, it's got to be somebody better than Orlando. I was looking at the numbers, too. Um, you know, Heredia has been decent against the left-handers this year. Contreras has been decent. Even, I think even Rosario has been better against lefties than... Yeah, I, I have the numbers. And like, spoiler, spoiler alert, the only... Uh, the only guy who is available that has worse numbers both overall and against lefties career season etc is Terrence Gore who they're never going to hit ever basically unless they have to uh, right. I truly think Arcia was the worst option other than Gore like Heredia has a career 103 WRC plus against left-handed pitching and a, yeah. 101, and a 101 this year that's like perfectly fine and also yeah. here's the wrinkle here uh, we talked about Rosario we'll come back to that too here's the wrinkle Let's say uh, by you know let's say by some miracle, Arcia gets a hit there and they tie the game. They're gonna take him out and put Heredia in anyway. So, like to play to play defense in left field, you're, you're pinch hitting for your left fielder. So, what essentially what 
the, the decision ends up being is almost worse because it's not like you're just going Arcea over Heredia in a vacuum. You're going Arcea and you're also using Heredia. So you're like, if you just tie the game and go to extras, you've now burned two guys. Yeah. And Heredia is a better hitter than Arcea is. And then, Correct. that again, like Contreras, I think you and I both know this, that Snickers never using Contreras there. Like, we might think that he should have considered it. He's never doing that. Like, backup catcher? You think Brian Snickers going to use the backup catcher right there? Not a chance. It, it, dri- and it, dr- <laughs> it drives me crazy. It drives me, like, that That line, of, like, how many times have you ever seen a catcher get hurt in a baseball game? But you like, know he's never had, doing it, though. He's never doing it. I know, you know oh, you're absolutely right. He's never doing it. But, like, the logic behind it is, well, if your catcher gets hurt, you need somebody to back up. But a catcher gets hurt in a baseball game, like, once every, like, 150 million uh, game, I don't know how, but it never happens. Never have you had to use an emergency. Have you ever seen a team have to use an emergency catcher in a game? I've never seen it. I've been watching baseball my whole life. I've never seen it. But anyways, <laughs> all the, outside anyway. of that, yeah. outside of that, I I did not like it. I did not like Garcia batting there. Um, I don't, you know, if I'm honest, I don't love the right-handed options overall anyways. Agreed. Yes. Heredia is, you know, I mean, Heredia has been better than Arcea. Heredia is just okay. Like, it's not like he's right. a great option. I'm, I'm with you. And that, that was some of the responses that I got when I was kind of ranting about this was uh, Braves fans were like, well, who, who do you want him to hit? And it's like, well, I understand that they don't have a great option, but I mean, quite literally anyone but Terrence Gore, I would have preferred. And honestly, I would have preferred Rosario, like pretty clearly to Arcia. And I, and one of the responses also was like, well, he has bad numbers against Josh Hader. He, he's faced Josh Hader six times. He's o, he's over six, but like, if you're going to make a platoon decision or pitch a decision based on six plate appearances in his career, like I, I give up. I'm, I'm No, you cannot make that decision based on that. And I, I, I get you want a righty in there because Snit's pretty traditional in that way. But if you want, if that's all you want, it's just a righty. Then use Heredia, and or you just go with Rosario, who's just you know Rosario. He has some faults too. Defensively, he's not great. He's had some injury problems, but the guy can hit the baseball. He's not great against lefties. I understand that, but his numbers are better than Arcia's. So I don't know. We can talk about this all day long. I, I don't want to overstate it. But it was the single biggest play appearance of the game. I mean, it, it literally is the difference between potentially it's two outs in the ninth with a man on third down one. Like, you can't overstep the situation either. It's not all on Arcia. It's not his fault. You know, it is it is what it is. He just actually hit the ball kind of hard, um, surprisingly. He actually had, a, I think it was 97 miles an hour. Like so I, think, but, I, I think for his career, just looking it up, Rosario has an 86 WRC plus against lefties for his career. RC is, is a 77. So, yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. And again, you know, it's one at bat, but it's literally the last at bat of the game. There's a runner on third, I think, at the time. Yeah. It was, so first, it was, like, first, it was first and third, two out, um, yeah. down one, obviously. So, so how about yeah, Andre Hanza, even? I mean, honestly, this is another one that I wanted to throw at you. This is, he's way down the list. But, I mean, if you look at the roster decisions all, all season long, they've, they've trusted Adrianza ahead of Arcia at a similar position all year. Like, Arcia was in the minors at times, and Adrianza was a key piece of the roster. He's not great, but his numbers are even better. If you wanted to go just kind of play your gut or whatever, like, he would have even been a better option. We didn't mention him, but I just want to say that out loud. Like, I think I would have preferred Adrianza to to Arcia, too. I don't know. I get it. Yeah, Andrea, so for his career, just for the number, Arcia, or I'm sorry, Adrianza has... An 87 WRC plus in his career versus lefties. So hey, there you go, still better. I think you're that. right. I think I think <laughs> I think Garcia was actually probably the worst 
other than Gore, was probably the worst. I think he really was. I mean, I'm not trying to pile on either, and, and I know he's a former top prospect and is a talented guy, but I just don't understand it. I mean, I, I really was praying someone would ask Snicker because I really think it was like like, like a, just a gut call. I, I don't think there was any other justification for that. Um, but he, Brian, I, I don't Brian, he, didn't, he didn't have to say it. So I don't know. Brian was going for the uh, revenge factor. Maybe. I mean, he, I know. He, I know. But he's not, also also it wasn't even like a small sample size issue because he's never faced Hater in a game like he was on the Brewers for so long he's never yeah. faced it yeah so I don't know and also like if you're if you're gonna face Josh Hater like I if if the numbers are similar honestly I'd rather just the guy who's been in the game for the last eight innings just go ahead and face him I versus agree. the guy coming in cold like here's the best closer in the game we need a hit you know I, if the numbers are that close and it looks like Rosario's are even better. I mean, just leave that guy in and let you know, let the guy who's already taken 10 or 12 swings in the game, you know, take his shot. Yeah, I, I will say again, like I'm not picking on Arcia and he actually had a better plate appearances plate appearance than I would have thought. He had a four thirty expected batting average on, on the ball that he hit. Like he actually hit the ball fairly well, just kind of right at somebody. So he didn't embarrass himself or anything. It just yeah. was the process decision was not uh not my favorite. Alas, they lose the game. Um and there were, there were many reasons. I mean, if you wanted to rank the most important plays of the night, number one has to be the home run by Telez just because of what it was. Uh, yeah. Number number two is either the Aussie double play or the Arcia play appearance, I think, pretty clearly. It's one of those two. Yeah, I think if you believe in momentum, which I don't really believe in momentum, but, you know, if you can start the game with a couple of runs – or even one run, Burns is up to, you know, 25, 30 pitches. You put the pressure on their offense to do something against Charlie. I can make the case that the biggest play of the game for the Braves was the Albies double play in the first. Um, even if he gets an out there, but, you know, you got you to gotta get at least one run. You can't be first and third, nobody out against the best pitcher in baseball and not get at least one run. Um, yep. <laughs> it, it hurt. We all knew it. That's the crazy thing. We all knew it too. Everybody had the same yeah. reaction. It was like, all right, well, that is going to come back to bite them. And it, yeah, um, it was all. And with Charlie and, and Corbin on the mound, it was always going to be a low-scoring game. It was always going to be a two-to-one, three-to-two game. Like there was very, very little. Uh, the percentage of this being like an eight-seven game at any point was minute. I mean, this was always going to be a tiny, a tiny score in this game. And you know, one run there is is massive, honestly. So. It is. Um, well, I mean, any any final thoughts on today? I mean, I want to get into game two just a tad bit here at the end and the, and the series overall, but anything you want to get off your chest that you've not already said about game one in particular? Well, I do think it's important to probably zoom out a little bit and realize that the Braves were the underdog in the series for a reason. Uh, Milwaukee's run prevention is elite. I mean, they are one of the best, if not the best in baseball, at preventing you from scoring runs. And so... You know, this game, while it was frustrating, it wasn't exactly unexpected. Um, I, you know, if I had to pick a score for who, you know, the final score of this game and who won, two one Brewers is going to be up there pretty high um, on my, on what I would guess. So the sky isn't falling. The series isn't over. Um, you know, losing to Corbin Burns is a pretty natural thing. Um, and you've got arguably your best pitcher as good as Charlie was. You've arguably got your best pitcher going in game two. So the Braves still have hope. Oh yeah. And that's a good bridge for you out here. Just kind of brief, briefly mentioning game two, you know, Max Freed against Brandon Woodruff on Saturday afternoon slash evening in Milwaukee. Uh, Woodruff's been very good this year. Not quite as good 
um, in the second half of the season, but still a, a mid two ZRA and a sub one whip for the season. Um, he's been very, very good. Um, a slight platoon split, nothing crazy. Um, and, you know, one of the top 10, 12 stars in the league, in the National League, just this year only. I'm not sure I put him in that category, you know, overall, but certainly from 2021 standpoint, he's been very good. And uh, Max Fried has been, you know, absolutely lights out. Like, he has a, you know, low ones, low to mid ones ERA since August 1st. He's just been completely ridiculous in the second half of the season. So, you know, you could say maybe slight advantage Braves if you trust um, if you trust Max in this spot. With that said, I mean, the betting market actually makes the Braves a small underdog again in Game 2, in part because of Woodruff, in part because they're on the road again, um, and the Brewers are now a pretty big favorite in the series if you believe the betting markets and the projection systems, like 538 to 36% for the Braves, 29% for Fangraphs. Uh, I, mean, I think I'd probably go higher than Fangraphs number on the Braves just because, um, you know, I think the Braves are a little bit more of a live underdog, and I think I'd probably trust Game 2 uh, a little bit more in the Braves' favor than some. With that said, though, like, they're in some trouble, particularly if they don't win Game 2. I mean, that, that goes without saying in some respects, because you don't want to go down 2 nothing in a best-of-five series, but uh, let's just say the pressure is considerably on everyone, including Max Freed, on Saturday. Yeah. Game game 2, you almost have to manage, like, Game 7, because you can't go down you can't go down 0-2. Um, oh, and, and and a day off on and a day off on Sunday too. Like there should be no like, not no, uh, I don't know, no, no thoughts of the future. Essentially, everyone other than Ian Anderson and Charlie Morton should be available tomorrow. Right, and you've got to be, you know, you can't make the same mistake that you made tonight. You've got to be, and I, I I said this a lot last year, and I thought Snit did a better job of it last year. But you know, the the postseason is the time to be ultra aggressive with your bullpen. Like that's what all the good teams do. They are ultra aggressive with getting a tired starter out and a fresh arm in. And, you know, if it's the fifth inning tomorrow, you know, and it's, it's zero, zero, like it was today. And there's a runner on first, you got to have somebody up in the bullpen. Um, I don't care how many pitches Max has thrown. You know, I think, I think Snit sometimes looks at that pitch count a little too hard. Um, I think he relies on that too much. I think you got to be more focused on the game situation, the times to the order, um, but you've got to treat tomorrow like a must win. I mean, if you go down 0-2 to this team and you know you've got to face Burns again at least, um, you know, you're you're in serious. I mean, you're almost dead in the water at that point. So there's there's still hope, but tomorrow is a must win. And, you know, if you're a Braves fan, I don't know if you would rather have anybody else pitching than Max Fried. I mean, he's been arguably the best pitcher in baseball since the second, since the second half started. So... Um, I'm confident in him. I'm not terribly confident that the Braves are going to score. That's really what it's going to come down to. Um, you know, Woodruff is awesome. Uh, Milwaukee's bullpen is awesome. The Braves have got to score. You can't just score one run because then you got to throw a shutout. So you got to score. You got to put two or three runs up and hope they stick. Yeah, uh, I mean, we talked about it. You, you mentioned it. Milwaukee's run prevention is really good. Woodruff is very good. This is not a situation. I know. I know he's not like super famous. And he's not a Cy Young co-favorite like Burns, but Woodruff is really good. This is not like a situation in which you have this massive starting pitching advantage. Like, you're going to have to score, and you, hopefully Max has his A game, and you go from there. But, uh, you know, it's certainly a, probably a toss-up game in my estimation. I'm not – I think I'd probably pick the Braves. You made me choose tomorrow. Um, but that's only by the, like, the, the narrowest whisker. I mean, and also, you know, I – I thought before the series, I said as much on the podcast, that the two most likely results in the series were Braves in four and Brewers in five. 
Um, I, I think I, I think Brewers in five is probably the most likely result now after game one, just because of the fact that they won game one and they banked that win. And just the simple math of the fact that the Braves have to win three out of four games. And doing that against anyone is not easy in baseball. And then you do it against a team that's legitimately pretty good in the Brewers. And it's a tough ask. I mean, it can obviously happen. They're, they're not dead at this point. But you go, down, you go down 0-2 and suddenly you're like a 10% chance to win a series. So this is a, obviously it goes from like 50-50 or better to like 10-15%. That's a big of a swing game two is. Yeah. And you can't you can't approach it like like your home field is going to be like the magic remedy oh, yeah. um, Agreed. because Mo- i think milwaukee was the best road team in baseball this year or one they uh, let me see i got it right here they were 50 and 31 on the road yeah they were a better road team they were a home team so you can't so, you know, so with the Braves, so, so with the Braves, with the Braves, by the way, the Braves were I think yeah. four and a half better on on the road than at home for some reason. Right, and the Braves didn't play great at home this year, so you know you can't you can't treat going home like it's going to be the magic remedy to fixing the series. You got to come out tomorrow with all hands on deck, and I mean again, I, I would treat it like Game Seven, basically. Um, and that means like just just so we lay it out, like just what do you mean by that? I mean I, I'm I'm thinking like. You know, you know, has got to be ready to pitch tomorrow. Absolutely, that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff like is you, what I would say. You can't like you have to treat every single rally like it could end the game. You know, you can't go down three zero. And well, in I mean, God, God, God forbid, Max doesn't have it tomorrow. But if he doesn't have it, you got to you got to get him out of there. Like that's you got to get things. him out of there in the second or third inning if you have to. Like, that's you, what I mean. Yeah, you can't treat this like uh, an August game. You know, you have to treat this literally like it's an elimination game and. You know, even if you've got to make a tough call, if Max just doesn't look right, he's got base runners everywhere. Even if the score is still zero zero, even if he's only thrown forty pitches, I don't care. You have to be. I would rather, I would rather go down being ultra aggressive than just sitting back and and watching. You know, a guy give up three or four runs, and against this Milwaukee team, if you give up three or four runs, I mean that's I mean that's damn near the game. I mean they they just, they just don't give up runs, so. I, if I'm snit tomorrow, you know, I'm I'm coming out blazing. I, every option is on the table from the first inning. Yeah, that's the way to do it. I totally agree with you. And, again, they have the off day Sunday, so you, you don't need to worry about bullpen tiredness, particularly because today, because you lost in, you know, in eight and a half innings, they only had to throw – two relievers in this game like yeah everybody's still fresh other than Matzik and, and Jackson and it, even then it's only the second day in a row for those guys so everybody is available tomorrow um yeah. you, you know Smiley is not something that wants to see but if you think that Fridge doesn't have it you, you put you put you know in in the in the third inning and then you have Smiley and you go from there like you can do whatever you need to do but uh I'm with you be aggressive and treat this game like a must win. Like, it's not like a full blown like wild card game, but it kind of almost is. Like it's it's uh what you're talking about. Like yeah. I mean seriously though, like the series odds swing by like thirty, maybe even forty percent based on only tomorrow's game. That's how big of a game it is. So no, yeah, like if you lose tomorrow's game, the drop in in expected and and the, the odds will be bigger than they were today. Oh, by a lot. I mean you you go, to, you go to, you go down to like. I mean, it, it, if you let's just take Fangrass for example, they, they took it down twenty nine percent today, which is probably more aggressive than I would have been on that. But we'll, we'll just assume that's right. Uh, you go from like forty five to twenty nine today. Uh, 
based on that, if you lose again tomorrow, they probably take you to sub 10, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then if you win, I think personally, if they win tomorrow, the Braves are favored in the series. That's my opinion. But I, I mean, it's not, not by a ton, but it's like 55, 45 Braves if they win tomorrow, in my opinion. So that's, that's a the, huge swing. At the very least, you get back to even. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like the, you know, you don't, I mean, you don't want to get, you don't want to get too crazy, but like, no. I, I would, I would say this series, the series ride, like the Braves have to win tomorrow. If the Braves don't win tomorrow, then, man, it's, it's, I mean, it's basically, it's almost impossible. It's, it's not, not impossible. over. Listen, it's I, not I, over. Will, I will simply remind people that the Braves uh, were on the other end of a similar uh, catastrophe last year in the, play- in the playoffs. So teams can win three games in a row. We all saw it, Stephen. But it's easier. It's, it's, it's easier to do that when you have a roster like the Dodgers. Uh, I wasn't going to say that, but you're right about that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> when you're when the teams are as close as these two teams are, um, it's a it's a much different scenario. And and again, the, Milwaukee is just so good on the road. They're so good on the road that man, I, the Braves need to win tomorrow. They need Max Reed to pitch like Max has pitched all year. Um, and but most importantly, they, they need some runs. They need to come out early, put two or three runs on the board, and just put the pressure back on Milwaukee's offense to score runs. You know, Milwaukee didn't have any pressure on the day because they never were behind. Put some pressure on their offense. Their offense is not good. You know, if you get pressure on them and you get Max rolling, you can win these games. You can do it. You just have to get some early runs on the board. Yep, I'm with you all the way. Um, well. I appreciate you joining me on this uh, Friday evening podcast, your uh, your TC podcast debut. But please plug where they can people can find you. Uh, I know I've uh, I've I know myself and Eric and Scott talked about your work and your Twitter stuff and all that. But please tell people where they can find all of your work, and uh, we'll have you back for sure. Yeah, uh, Talking Shop obviously is where I write most of my stuff, um, or really all my stuff. Uh, B Outliers is the Twitter account, um, but Talking Shop kills it every postseason. It's one of the reasons I want to be a part of this team is because I feel like I feel like this site covers the Braves and specifically the playoffs better than anybody. Um, I feel like we have kind of wall-to-wall coverage. So check out Talking Chop. There's a ton. I mean, there's just so much content. There's podcasts. There's articles. There's recaps. There's previews. There's just a million things to read. Chris does an incredible job organizing all that stuff. So, um, yeah, check it all out. That was a professional uh, promotion job by you at the end of the podcast. Yeah, I thought that. you I thought you would like that. I thought, that was, I thought that I was, was well good. done. I, I did. Chris would appreciate that as well. That was uh, that was well done. But yes, full uh, company man at the end. <laughs> uh, I will I will add as I always do to, for everybody to subscribe to the podcast via your plot your uh, preferred platform of choice, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you want to find podcasts. You can definitely find us there. Um, please leave five star feedback, uh, reviews, and ratings and all that stuff i personally would recommend following steven uh also follow the talking chop at talking chop on all platforms and if you want to follow me at bt roland is the place to do that uh we'll be back again after game two i believe it'll be myself and scott coleman hopefully scott comes back from his uh, from his slumber enjoyed the podcast i'm kidding scott if you listen to this but uh we'll talk to you after game two thanks for listening thanks to steven we'll see you all next time